Good morning. I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians. Continuing in Philippians this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. Going to move through the end of the chapter with that being our goal and mission this morning and even as I prepare this week or even as I think about it now I have no idea how we'll get to all of this but God is gracious to us and we're going to look at it together with that in mind I want us to read it together so if you have your Bibles turn with me to Philippians 1 chapter chapter 1 verse 12 and let's read the passage together the Apostle Paul continues writing to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it is, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of the selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you had, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to sing and to worship you. We thank you, Father, for the joy we have in proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord of all conqueror of heaven and earth the one who rules and reigns above all things and i thank you today god that even as i preach i know the truth father that the blood of jesus christ shed for me has saved me and redeemed me from my sins and god i pray that everyone here will know that same truth that everyone here will recognize and realize the preciousness of jesus christ the savior and lord that our hope will be set in him. Our foundation will be built upon him. 
Our goal in life will be centered in him. Whatever we have from him, through him, and to him are all things. May Christ be exalted. All for your glory and all for your name we pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. As Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he is chained to a Roman soldier. Every day, all day. Chained to a Roman soldier. In fact, Acts chapter 28 tells us that he's chained to this soldier in some apartment or house or some place that he has to pay rent for. It's on his own dime. Paul has not had a good couple of years in the way the world would see it. In fact, that's why the Philippians wrote to him, having spent time with the Philippians and their, their love for each other during that time. And now Paul has gone on. The Philippians had heard word that he had been arrested, that he'd been imprisoned for some two years. They'd heard word about his trouble that he had come. And just think about that. Paul had been arrested in Caesarea. And there in Caesarea, he had to claim that he was a Roman citizen and he was kept appealing all the way up, appealing to the emperor, moving up in his appeals. He spent two years in prison there. Finally, when the appeal went through because of his citizenship, they put Paul on a boat and he sailed out to Rome. But on the way, a storm, a great storm hit the boat. The boat crashed. He landed on the island of Malta through the shipwreck. The Lord saved him, but it was tough. There on the island of Malta, remember, he was working in the fire, building a fire in a, a venomous snake that would kill anyone, bit him, and God miraculously healed him from the snake bite. You remember, it had not gone well for Paul, seemingly. And now he is in Rome. He's been chained to a Roman soldier, and he's put in confinement, and he's awaiting the moment that the emperor, the emperor of Rome, which was possibly the the most powerful man in all of the known world at the time, he's waiting for the moment that the emperor will make a decision. And that decision would, could go from being released and vindicated to being condemned and executed. And ultimately, Paul still doesn't know what his charges are. He still doesn't even know what he's been charged with. He doesn't even really know why this is other than the fact that he has been preaching Christ. So this letter written to the Philippians, this letter is not written on a postcard from the Italian Riviera in any way. Paul is not talking about, when he comes to them, he's not talking about how good the linguine is. I'm not a big Italian food fan, but that's something I knew was Italian. He's not writing to them about the pleasantries of this place. He's not giving them some statement about how, how wonderful Italy is. I hope you can come see it one day. That's not what he's doing. Paul is writing a letter because the Philippians were concerned for him. They sent a Paphroditus. They sent a care package. They sent it off. And Paul is going to send back to them and say, hey, thank you for your concern. I love you. Let me tell you now what's happened. Let me give you an update an update to his friends and, and, and family at Philippi. And this update, even though Paul's last few years have not been some that you would rejoice in seemingly according to the world, this update is full of pure joy. Imprisonment, chained to a Roman soldier, trouble, struggle on every side. Paul, who wrote Corinthians, he is hard-pressed, as we read earlier. But Paul wants to let them know he is not condemned. He writes with pure joy. And that's what we see in verse 12. Like when you call your mother, and some of you need to probably call her today. 
Like when you call your mother and you say, hey, mom, love you, she wants to get a report. How is everything going? How is everybody doing? How is everything happening there in the family? All the kids, everybody okay? So it is with Paul. He writes to the Philippians and he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. I want you to know. They're worried about his physical state. What is he, what's going on in his life? What's happening? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Are you okay? They're worried about his mental state. Is this driving you crazy? Are you, are you have a good peace of mind in this moment? They're worried about his spiritual state. Is he faltering? Is he slowing down on his commitments to preach and proclaim? They're concerned about him. And so as Paul writes this letter back to the Philippians, delivered by the hand of Epaphroditus himself, Paul says, I want you to know. And that little phrase kind of serves as an introduction to this whole section. There's three things here Paul wants them to know. First, Paul wants to be clear on what his top priority is. I want you to know what my top priority is, and that's the advancement of the gospel. The advancement of the gospel. If the Philippians were concerned for Paul, he wants to begin by easing their minds. If you're concerned about me and my mental state, spiritual state, if you're concerned about any of those things, I want to ease your minds. And he starts here with this great and glorious news. You would think that uh, if you were thrown into prison, you would think that if you're chained to a Roman centurion for, for 24 hours a day, you would think that your ministry would be over. You would think that would halt or stop what you were doing and what you've been called to do. You would think that would be the case. But Paul wants to make it clear that what's happening to him, even now, now as he's chained to this Roman soldier, what's happening to him is all a part of God's divine strategy to reach people with the gospel. The army of Rome may never have called Paul to give them a pep talk or a speech. They never, never would have called Paul to be a chaplain for their next battle. They never would have invited him in for those reasons. But what has happened now, according to Paul, is that they are chained to him and he has a prisoner chained to him so that they will hear him speak the gospel. And Paul says, here's the good news. Not only is this burden that has come to me of my imprisonment, it's also served to advance the gospel so that the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, they know my, my uh, name is in Christ. They know who Christ is. Everything, his whole imprisonment is for Christ. The whole imperial guard has heard of him. Now I'm sure the Philippians, as they're reading this letter aloud, some of them began to smile because if it's anybody that knows that some miraculous things can happen in a prison, it will be the Philippians. Remember how the church was even founded as Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison and the earth quaked and shook the whole place and the chains fell off and the gates flew open and the jailer there ready to take his life thinking he had lost all of his prisoners. He hears the voice of Paul and there that day Paul told him about the Christ who had can save him and redeem him and he believed. And surely as he hears this story, he's got to smile because all of his buddies in the, the Roman army were hearing the gospel there in Rome as well. All of them were hearing it, and many of them were believing it, Paul says. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy, a fellow signatory of this letter to the Philippians who was in prison there with Rome, in Rome for a while, but Paul sends him out, sends him out, and Paul's writing those two letters, those last two to Timothy to tell him how to live. And he, re he reminds Timothy, he says, know that I am suffering for the name of Christ. I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And what Paul wants to make clear here to the Philippians from the very, very beginning is that you cannot stop God's word. 
You can't stop it. It never returns null and void. It always works in hearts and changes lives. No matter where it is proclaimed, no matter what circumstances it is given in, no matter what the case may be, it is always going to return exactly how God wants it to return. And it is the power of God to change hearts. Paul says, you can't stop the word. I may have chains on me, but the word is not chained. The word is not chained. So for Paul... He wants to say whatever the circumstances are, whatever difficulties I'm in, whatever struggle I may be, I have not lost sight of my mission. I've not lost sight of what God's calling is to me. I've not lost sight of what I am to be doing, and I am proclaiming Christ. And Paul's joy here is amplified even. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's joy has been amplified even because of others who now see Paul in prison and they're encouraged by this. In fact, Paul's joy and his boldness even in prison become contagious. I don't know if we can use contagious anymore. I'm not sure if that word is able to be used. But you still get it right. They see it. Not only had they heard Paul, and I love this understanding because not only had they heard Paul, Paul has taught them, Paul has educated them. They've heard him about the doctrines of of Christ and his glory and his goodness. They've heard all of those things. But what they also now have seen is they've seen all of that that Paul knows, all of his knowledge, catch fire. And even in the midst of prison, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, Paul still proclaims it. Why? Because not just the knowledge of all of those truths and doctrines matter to us, it's the knowledge of all those truths and, ma- and doctrines com- compared with or, or joined together with the glory and preciousness of Christ who brings it all to us. So Christ is precious to Paul. So it's not just taught, it's caught here. And they see it and they go, see what Paul is doing. He faces difficulty. He faces trial. He faces danger. He faces harsh circumstances and he still preaches and people still believe. And so for us, we don't stop. We keep going. We keep preaching. Because the advancement of the gospel is our top priority above all all other things. Paul's joy and his boldness become contagious. And he says that he finds that joy, confident in the Lord of imprisonment, because much more bold, many more and more bold to speak the word without fear. I like this idea of boldness and this confidence in the Lord. It reminds me of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is a great story. Peter and John were on their way to worship and they see a man lame there and the man begins to ask him if he could give them something, give them silver or gold and Peter says silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I freely give in the name of Jesus rise up and walk and there that man was healed and they went in and they proclaimed Jesus to those who would hear word passed around the street and those uh, of the council Caiaphas and others who had simply conspired just a few months earlier to put Jesus to death heard about this that Jesus is still being proclaimed by these guys so they come and they arrest Peter and John and they bring them in and they tell them they got to stop speaking and Peter and John say what is Peter Peter steps up and say you can tell me that all you want to but I will not stop you made a ruling and God overruled your ruling Jesus Christ is alive and now there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ and so there, Peter stands up boldly for the very, in front of the very ones who put Jesus to death just a few months earlier. And he says, I'm not going to stop speaking. They said, stop speaking. He said, no. He said, stop. They said, okay, well, just leave then. And they go out, and they're afraid because they tell them, if you keep speaking, you're going to be put to death. 
And they go and they find the rest of the disciples who are locked in a room and they begin to tell them all that had happened. And as they sat down to pray together, I'm reminded of what they prayed. Here they were just told, if you keep talking about Jesus, you will be put to death. If you keep doing this, we will execute you. In fact, that was true. They sent papers out for Stephen and others and stoned him. And Paul had papers as Saul to arrest others. It was true. So what did they pray that day? As they gathered in that room, their prayers, as Acts chapter 4 says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What I find fascinating is their prayer was for more boldness. They didn't pray, God, take their threats away. They didn't pray, God, let them stop being mean to us. God, we, we're preaching you, so make it easy on us. They didn't pray any of those circumstances that they're in to be removed. They just simply said, in light of their threats, in light of the condition we're in, just give us more boldness. Don't let us step back in fear. And that's exactly what's happening here with Paul. Paul begins to preach, and he's been thrown in prison. He's got someone chained to him 24-7, and the others are simply saying, no matter what happens to us, just like Paul, give us more boldness, Lord, to speak these things in truth. We tend to focus so often on our circumstances, even making our circumstances the center of our prayers. But you'd be hard-pressed to look throughout the New Testament and find the circumstances the center of the believer's prayer in the New Testament. What you see is the request all the time that the Lord would give us more boldness to proclaim his name, more boldness in light of what we face, more boldness in light of the difficulties. Give us more boldness, Lord. And I'm convinced that that is exactly what we need here today. If my one prayer, you say, Josh, what would be your one prayer for Taylor's first? I would pray that the Lord would make us love Christ more than anything else and God would give us more boldness to speak his word. More boldness to proclaim his name. More boldness to step up. More boldness to say what it is that we have our hope in. Who it is that we trust. Who it is we depend upon. More boldness to not shy back at opportunity after opportunity. The problem is not that doors have not been opened for the gospel. The problem is oftentimes we step back in fear to proclaim the gospel. And what Paul says is God, through all of this, not only has all of the Roman soldiers heard, not only has the whole imperial guard heard, but now others are getting more boldness, praise God, for the advancement of the gospel. That's his top priority. Now Paul wants to be honest with them. He's honest here. He says, now look, some of them, he even says, some preach Christ from goodwill, but some are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. In other words, What's happened here is they're preaching Christ. Now, some of them, it's good. He says they're doing it out of love. They're, they're wanting and pro proclaiming Christ out of love, knowing that he's put here for the defense of the gospel. But others, others are preach preaching out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul is honest. He wants to show care for the Philippians and say, now you need to know that some of these people who are preaching are preaching out of rivalry and envy. You need to know that their motives is not all right. Their motives have been messed up. Sometimes they're preaching for themselves, selfish ambition, selfish motives. They see Paul in prison and they see an opportunity. Here was the great Paul, the great missionary, the one the church sent out first, the one who has this incredible story of how God saved him on the road to Damascus. Here's the great Paul who everybody looks to in churches after churches have been planted because of. And now he's in prison and they see that as an opportunity to say, look at what my abilities are. Look at what I can do. Look at what I can accomplish. 
accomplished. But Paul, in any way, he's not concerned at all about how good of a speaker they may be. He's not concerned at all about their credentials in any way. That's not Paul's concern. Paul's main concern above anything else is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Now, you need to know, he says, some preach out of love, some preach out of envy, some preach out of rivalry, and they're even trying to take Paul's chains and rub them in his face, if you will. Paul says, don't worry about that, only that Christ is proclaimed. Don't worry about my reputation, Paul says. Don't worry about what they say about me. Don't worry about any of that. What you need to know is that Christ Jesus must be proclaimed. And I don't care if they do it out of rivalry. I don't care if they do it out of envy. I don't care if they do it out of love. Only that Christ is proclaimed. God will give them the answer. They'll have to answer to God for their own motives and heart. But only that Christ is proclaimed. Paul's imprisonment was an opportunity for some to slander Paul. So that's the rivalry and envy. But Paul, Paul will not play that game. Paul is not interested. The privilege of preaching Christ is not a race for spiritual scalps, as one theologian says. It's not a competition. Paul does not care what they say about him, only that Christ is proclaimed. He's not counting up numbers on how many people has come to see faith in his ministry. That's not what he's concerned, only that Christ is proclaimed. He's not stacking up his credentials. He's not offering up what he has done. In fact, in Corinthians, whenever Paul's credentials were called into question, what did Paul do? He took off his coat and he showed them the scars on his back. He said, I may not have all of your degrees that you can stack on the wall, but here's what I do have. I've been beaten three times and left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been bitten. All of those things because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. His credentials were found even in his suffering, Paul says. So if you want credentials, I've got credentials, but it's not about me at all because it's all about the proclamation of Christ. Only that Christ is proclaimed. It does not matter what animated them, whether that's love or envy. But as long as they were preaching Christ, Paul says that's the nature of the gospel itself. It's not about us. We are selfless in this thing. Now you know maybe why Paul prayed for the Philippians that their love may abound more and more. Don't get caught up in envy and rivalry. Rejoice at the proclamation of Christ Jesus. Don't get caught up at who's done what and who's accomplished this and who's accomplished that. Rejoice at the proclamation of Christ Jesus. I want you to know, he says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, ultimately, the Philippians may look and say, really, Paul? I mean, they're saying bad things about you. They're saying difficult things about you. Really, you're rejoicing in this, Paul? Really? That's what you can do? And so Paul, kind of assuming, having not been here in person writing this letter, assuming that may be their question, in that I rejoice, he comes back next, yes. Yes, and I will rejoice. Even in this difficulty, yes, I will rejoice because Paul, secondly, wants us to know what his main ambition is. We see his top priority now. We see his main ambition, to live and die for Christ. To live and die for Christ. He says, yes, I must. I meant what I said. I will rejoice. And as he thinks about what might await him in the future, he announces to the church at Philippi that he is confident he is confident whether the emperor says that you are vindicated and set free or the emperor condemns and executes. He's confident in the Lord and he has a confident expectation that God will deliver him. 
We know the story of Paul, right? We know as the book of Acts ends, it doesn't tell us how Paul dies because, of course, the book of Acts is not a biography of Paul. It's about the gospel and how it advances and continues to go. And the gospel advancement was not dependent upon Paul. But what it does tell us is that we, we know as Paul's in prison and waiting, it leaves us there. And what Christian history has told us is that Paul would die and be beheaded for the faith, condemned. Was Paul wrong? Was his confidence misplaced? Had he truly been delivered? Of course, for Paul, he had. Because we know true deliverance is not found this side of heaven. True deliverance is not found here. God answers this prayer because true deliverance is found when Paul would meet the Savior face to face. And just as surely as some worldly man may chop Paul's head off, the Lord can put it back again. Amen? And he was raised new again in righteousness, never to worry or be, con be concerned about all these troubles here. Paul has this strong confidence, and he knows this simple truth is here. He knows that his ultimate destiny is not determined by human opinion of him. His ultimate destiny is not determined by human opinion of him, and neither is yours, my friend. Your ultimate destiny as life is not determined by what anybody thinks of you. What matters most for each and every one of us is what God thinks of us. His opinion is the only one with any eternal significance. Now, before I go any further, my wife's opinion is important. Just letting y'all know. Like growing up and playing basketball, my coach's opinion is important. He determines whether I get any play in time, right? We know there's opinions around us that are important in our lives and we should be concerned to make sure we do our best for the glory of God in every way, in every situation. But ultimately, my wife's opinion or my coach's opinion or whoever's opinion it may be has no eternal significance for me whatsoever. No matter how great my wife's opinion of me is, and it is great, <laughs> it cannot get me into heaven. And no matter how bad her opinion may be of me, it cannot send me to an eternal hell. No matter what any of you may think of me, no matter what any of you may think about Josh Powell, my preaching ability, my, my personality or anything, no matter what you may think of me, it is a not enough to get me into heaven or enough to get me into hell. Your opinion, while it is important to me and vital for the ministry to, to succeed and flourish, it has no eternal significance for me. And Paul says that's the case here. What matters most is not what those people preaching about me in envy and rivalry preach or those ones who love me and care for me. What matters most is what Christ thinks of me. What matters most is what the Lord considers for me. And God's opinion is not fickle. It does not follow the latest trends. The Lord God is not trendy in any way. His opinion is wrapped up in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And when he looked upon the work of his son, it pleased him to grant eternal life to all, everyone who calls on his name. His opinion is not fickle. It's clear. Trust in Christ, and you are mine, and I am yours. Therefore, Paul is convinced that the most important thing about him, the most important thing he can say, the most important thing he can do is Christ and only Christ. Paul is convinced that Christ will be honored in my body no matter what happens. It could be life or it could be death. And that's when we get this great verse of Philippians 1.21. And for me, my prayer is that everyone in this room can know this verse, believe this verse, and this verse could become very much so a part of who they are. For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
I want each and every one of you here to get to this place, to get to this point. I see my job, even this morning, at this point, this may be the last sermon some of you ever hear. My job, even this morning, is to prepare you to die, to get you ready to meet judgment and to face your maker, the Lord God Almighty, to get you ready for that. My job is to proclaim the word for you in such a way that you recognize death is no big deal for us. In fact, dying is gaining to prepare your heart ready for the day to know that when we die in Christ, we only step into the glorious ever after, right? That even death in Christ is just the beginning. And what a release that is. There's no other religion. There's no other place. There's no other, uh, other opinion you can look to on this earth that's going to tell you dying is gain. Only Christ Jesus can tell us that because he holds the, the keys to life and death. And those who die in him are more alive now than ever before because Christ Jesus gives life. And Paul says, I don't care what the opinion of the emperor is. I don't care what the opinion of those preaching out of rivalry is. And I really, ultimately, I love you and I cherish you, but it's really not even your opinion that matters to me. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's opinion. And he considers me his and he has redeemed me and saved me. And so when I meet him face to face, I want you to know it's not about streets of gold or mansions of, uh, that are huge and big. That's not what heaven is for me. Paul says, for me to depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul's not concerned about streets of gold or crystal seas. Those are nice. What Paul knows is heaven is where Jesus is. And that's where he wants to go. And his reward is Christ Jesus himself forever. Never have to be moved away from him again. And Paul says that is far better. I pray that you can live your life in such a way to know that to go and be with Christ is far better. And when you ultimately can live your life knowing that dying is gain, then you can truly live. Truly live not worried about the opinions of this world. Truly live not worried about what this world does to you, what your circumstances may be. Truly know that you can get through any of this just as Jesus endured the cross for you. You can endure it all because you know the glory that awaits you. Dying is gain is a sublime truth that only we who are in Christ completely know. That's why as you get older, you ain't got to get bitter. I'm not talking to just anybody in particular. But the older we get, we only know the closer to heaven we are. And so every day should be sweeter and sweeter and sweeter because to live is Christ. And we're one step closer to being with him forever. Paul says, doesn't matter to me. Christ Jesus is exalted in my life. That's it. If he keeps me here, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you. If he takes me home, that's far better for me. It's over. I'm with him forever. Either way, only Christ be exalted. What does it mean then for us to live as Christ quickly at the end? Paul's clear call. What's happened to Paul is in the lesson and encouragement to us. And I can't believe I'm about to go through Philippians 1, 27 through 30 in like five minutes because this passage is incredible. Only, this is what it means to live in Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Paul says only. This word speaks to simplicity, the simplicity of the Christian life. And as the old preacher says, the Christian life is simple. It's not easy. Understand that. There's no real philosophy you've got to figure out. There's no great algorithm you've got to come up with and you've got to solve to be a Christian. There's no great problem or riddle you've got to do. The mystery has been revealed. It has become clear. Trust in Jesus. You have life. Give him everything for he has died for you. Your sins have been forgiven. Live for him. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if you have Christ, if God has given him to you freely, how much more so will he give you all things? Christ Jesus is exalted in my everyday life and walk it's that simple live for christ doesn't mean it's easy but that's it and paul says only let it be this only let this your life be be lived out in a manner worthy of the gospel consider how you once were consider who you are now in christ consider that he redeemed you from sin don't go back to sin consider that he saved you out of darkness don't live in darkness live in light live in righteousness he says that that when we come together this way and we live for christ that we must stand firm we must stand firm in one spirit with one mind he says Stand firm in the truth together. Paul prays for unity of these people just as Jesus prays for them. He calls them to unity. One spirit, one mind, work together, stand together. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated. You have one another. Work together in this one spirit and one mind. Stand firm, but not just stand firm, strive side by side. Both of these are military terms that Paul uses having work in here with these Roman centurions. Surely he had come up with this. Stand firm, stand firm together in the truth, strive side by side. Don't let the opposition divide you. Don't let them separate you. Work, serve, love, care for one another. This was Paul's view of partnership. Side by side, everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a job to do. Everyone has an important position in this battle that we face. Paul's work in prison was not as more important than the Philippians' work there as they prayed for him and reached out to him. They worked together side by side. Stand firm and strive. And do not fear. Do not fear. He says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Do not fear. Yes, suffering will come. In fact, this passage tells us exactly that. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Yes, suffering has been granted to us just as salvation has been granted to us. But that suffering comes not just by happenstance or chance. The suffering comes with a purpose. And that purpose is to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ and to help us advance the gospel. Even as Paul was suffering in prison, advance the gospel. God does not always deliver us out of suffering, and he never promises to. But he always sustains us through it. He always carries us through this. And as he carries us, even as we suffer, we recognize that he's carrying the heavier end of all of our burdens. And so Christ Jesus does all of this for us. So even our suffering points us towards Christ and points us to the day that we long for that would be far better for us that we go and be with him. But until that day, we'll use every ounce of our life, our suffering, and whatever it is we have for the glory of his name. We're not afraid anymore. All for Christ's sake. What Paul posits here for us is a fundamental view of life that he encourages all of his readers to have. And I would encourage you this morning, 
to know this fundamental view of life, that life, your life, does not belong to you. Paul's life did not belong to himself. Everything he has, everything he is, all that he does belongs to Christ Jesus. And it's Christ Jesus who found him in the midst of his darkness. It's Christ Jesus who will carry him throughout his life. And it's Christ Jesus who will bring him safely home. For he is confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in me will complete it to perfection until that day. It's Christ Jesus. From him, through him, and to him are all things. And if I could just simply, whether it's through the preaching of the word, the living of my life, if I could impart one thing to you, one simple thing, that is the preciousness of Christ, the Savior for us. Paul says he's everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your truth. Thank you for Christ. God, my prayer is that no one here would leave this place not knowing this Savior. God, why would we want to face a world of uncertainty and doubt? Why would we face that world, Father, without trusting in the one who for certain has come for us? Without trusting in the one who for certain has died for us? Without trusting in the one who's risen and who sits on the throne forever and even now calls upon us to follow him? God, my prayer is that everybody in this room can say to live is Christ, to die is gain. But God, we know this does not come natural to us. Our tendency is to look for joy and pleasure and satisfaction in everything else but Jesus. Our tendency is to run from him, not turn to him. And so God, I pray that you would step in today in every heart and every life, that you would show Christ Jesus as joyous and you will turn that heart around that has been running from you. You will turn that life around, Father, that has been distant from you. You'll turn that one around, God, to find today, maybe for the first time, the satisfaction and hope that they have been longing for and find it in the person of Christ so they can say today to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, do your work even now.